You are listening to the Financial Clarity for Doctors podcast by Finity Group, LLC, where we discuss the pertinent financial planning topics facing physicians and other medical professionals. Discussions in this show should not be construed as specific recommendations or investment advice. Always consult with your investment professional before making important investment decisions. Securities offered through Cambridge Investment Research, Inc., a registered broker-dealer, member FINRA SIPC, and now, here are your hosts, Rochelle Vanderzanden and Corey Janoff. All right, everyone. Financial Clarity for Doctors. I'm Corey Janoff, joined as always by Rochelle Vanderzanden. Welcome, everyone. And today, we have a very special guest. He's our Chief Investment Officer, also a chartered financial analyst, Cole Kimball, on the line. Say hi, Cole. Hi, everyone. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for joining us. And Cole, as I mentioned, he, he works uh, with us here at Finity Group and um, you know oversees our entire investment department. And and Cole's one of the uh, the smartest people I've ever met. And and he's that he's that guy in the boardroom who will uh, silently sit there for about forty five minutes while everyone else debates and talks over each other. And then someone will look at Cole and say, "Hey, Cole, what are your thoughts?" And Cole will give a very thoughtful, intelligent answer. And everyone pauses for a second and says, yeah, that, that sounds like a good idea. Let's go with Cole's suggestion. So w- when Cole speaks, people at Finity listen. So we br- thought we'd bring him on and let him share his his wisdom with you guys. And today we have a very timely topic, as you probably saw from the title of this episode. We're going to talk about the stock market and the election and politics and how those things are all intertwined or maybe not so intertwined, but how, how uh, politics and the stock market and investment might be correlated and what that means for you and your investments. So it's what that, everyone is thinking about anyway, we might just lean into it. <laughs> yes. So yeah. exciting stuff. And um, so, yeah, I guess, you know, maybe uh, we could just start diving in and, you know, cool. What, what are some of the the correlations? You know, how is the stock market a reflection of of our overall economy, and maybe how are they intertwined, but also maybe two different things? Yeah, it's a it's a good question, and I think um, you know the comparison I like to use is comparing maybe a larger company publicly traded to a smaller mom and pop uh, restaurant or boutique, something like that. I think at the end of the day, the stock market um, has a much can be much more resilient uh, in times of economic stress relative to that smaller uh, smaller business, just due to access to capital. If you're looking at the unfortunate situation where we're in right now with COVID, and you think about these mega companies, corporations out there with their banking relationships, their balance sheets. You know, even if times are tough, they can probably survive based on uh, what they have on the books for some time, even if revenues are depressed, which really isn't the case for a small business owner on Main Street. And that is a much uh, tougher situation. And so um, that makes the, uh, the stimulus conversations that have been happening so much more important when we have these uh, economic pullbacks. So I think the market in general um, is a reflection and a good reflection of one aspect of our economy. So 
obviously you've got the the large companies and they definitely employ employ a lot of a lot of folks but small businesses are uh an underlying engine in the economy here and so when they struggle that will have a a really strong or large impact uh to a lot of um americans so that can kind of explain yeah go ahead rochelle yeah, I was just going to say, I think one interesting thing that we saw this year happen was that when COVID started really coming on the scene here domestically, we saw this huge drop in the stock market, potentially because it, we knew it was going to affect the economy, but then the stock market recovered so quickly, and the economy is obviously not going to have that fast of a recovery. It's just it's kind of impossible to get people back to work that fast. So I thought that was just a very interesting thing where you see them not necessarily moving in lockstep like there's it's almost like the market is a little bit ahead of what the economy is doing yeah i think that the stock market's gonna always try to price in what's coming not as not necessarily what has happened and so the stock market in my opinion the 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 least favorite thing of institutional investors is uncertainty and i think covid being really the first worldwide plague or pandemic, I guess it's a better word, um, that we've had in a hundred years since the Spanish flu, just that uncertainty in today's economy um, really spooked a lot of investors and in why you saw that sell off. And then as we've kind of gotten our hands around the situation, um, to some extent in understanding some of the economic uh, fallout from it, um, and I'm not trying to say that we're out of the woods at all um, from the situation with where we stand today, but starting to understand the the impact. And, you know, you have some companies doing quite well, like Amazon, uh, Microsoft, et cetera. And so, um, and that's, they've really driven this market rebound uh, since those mid-March lows. I think it's worth highlighting that piece like if you look at the stock market currently as well as throughout history there's there's a few heavy hitters that really carry the bulk of of the returns it's kind of like the lebron james analogy you know he is the lakers without him they probably wouldn't be a playoff team and now they're we're recording this before the nba finals are over but it all looks like the lakers are going to walk away with the title um you know there's a few names in the the overall U.S. stock market that produced the majority of the returns. So while the stock market as a whole may appear to be doing all right, you know, there's a lot of other companies and businesses out there that maybe aren't doing so hot, which is why the economy and the stock market maybe don't necessarily move in lockstep with each other. Yeah, they, um, I mentioned the Amazon, Microsoft, uh, the other three that have really driven the, the rebound have been um, Apple, Google, and Facebook. And those five companies have uh, really, really driven the, the rebound in the S&P uh, 500 index for sure, um, taking up a larger and larger share and having stronger and stronger performance, uh, really bringing up that index as a whole. This is by no means a recommendation to invest in any of those particular companies, but more just highlighting the, the factual statistics that you know, they're producing the a large majority of the overall returns in the index as a whole. Absolutely, and I think- Thank you for that an, caveat. Yeah, <laughs> definitely so many caveats. 
I do think that it's really interesting just to watch a lot of these movements through the market and through the economy because a lot of it is very cyclical. Cole, how much of it do you think can be driven by policy and how much of it is just a function of time almost? Like we go up, we go down, we go up, we go down. Uh, well, I, I do like the, the choice of words policy and not necessarily politics. Um, cause I do think policy can drive returns, but it is more on a, uh, sector individual name basis. So for example, just like if we were, um, rewinding to the last election, there was a lot of talk about improvements to infrastructure, um, bridges, roads, kind of the, the shovel ready projects from really from both sides of the, the aisle. Um, so that gave a lift to uh, the companies that operate in that sector. So the companies that are producing those, that earth moving equipment, stuff like that. That's an example of markets or companies doing well as a result of policy. I would say politics, on the other hand, there's, um, I wouldn't say it's, it's strong of a correlation, and I'm unaware of any uh, any correlation between saying one party that wins the election is going to produce outsized returns for uh, the equity market or fixed income markets or anything like that. So I think there there is uh, you know taking it one step further maybe and calling policy uh, fiscal stimulus that can be a tailwind for for markets as well. So if the policy is any form of fiscal stimulus, uh, I would argue the the government investing in whatever sector it may be uh, would likely be a a tailwind for that for that sector and as a result of that policy. And by fiscal policy, we're just talking about where the federal government, state governments spend their money, yeah. Yeah, so you have kind of two two forms of stimulus. You can have fiscal stimulus and you can have monetary stimulus. Fiscal stimulus is going to come from uh, Washington and monetary stimulus is going to come from the Federal Reserve. And there are um, uh, studies that show that equity markets or risk assets do perform better when there is monetary stimulus or easy monetary policy. And that just means like what we're experiencing right now, lower interest rates. Is it anything else? So the Federal Reserve is also um, doing direct intervention through purchasing uh, bonds. So they've been buying assets as well. Um, they got into, I believe, some some ETFs this year as well to expand the uh, monetary stimulus. So that would be like the quantitative easing that we heard so much about and. 2008, 2009, the low interest rate environment that we're in now. And I think the way to think about it is just comparing it to if you're buying a house. And right now we have an easy monetary um, policy in place, which makes homes more affordable because your mortgage rate is going to be much lower than where it would be if the interest rates were set much higher by the Federal Reserve. So that encourages folks to go out buy the asset or invest in the project or the 
you know, factory, whatever the case may be. But I think comparing it to our own situation, easy monetary policy translates to a lower mortgage in this situation, encouraging buying, trying to drive that economic activity. So is there any correlation between monetary policy and politics, or is the Fed, for the most part, at least historically, trying to remain as nonpartisan as possible? I think they they do a good job of staying nonpartisan. Um, and I, I think they've got a very difficult job because it's a... Um, they really come into play when things are bad and people are are struggling. So it's kind of a thankless job, in my opinion, and um, it's full of criticism. So if the rate's too low, people complain. If the rate's too high, people complain. Um, so I think it's a, kind of a thankless position and uh, politicians can have their their opinions on what the Federal Reserve is doing, but I think that the Federal Reserve has has done a a fairly good job of staying truly independent and really focusing on the economy within uh, their control, what they can do to, uh, to help out. Definitely. I don't know that I hear many people saying thank you to the Federal Reserve or the Chairman of the Reserve, that's for sure. Yeah, okay. So I think moving on to relevant politics type questions, you touched on this a little bit already, Cole, but it seems like there, in in your research at least, there's not a huge inclination that one party or another is better for the stock market long term. Is that mostly just the president or is that also like Congress and the makeup there? So it is primarily on the, uh, the, the presidential side of things. Um, so a couple of years back, actually going into the last election, um, we took a deeper dive into this. Um, and we found uh, in the Journal of Finance, a 2003 article saying that um, uh, equity markets had done slightly better under the under Democratic uh, administrations, where the bond markets had slightly outperformed under uh, Republican uh, leadership. Um, and that was from a journal of portfolio management 1999 piece, uh, which it was very, very, um, very slight outperformance. And I think the piece that we found the most relevant circling back to the last topic was, um, in a journal of portfolio management piece from 2004, um, that the Federal Reserve's monetary policy actually had the highest correlation regardless of who was in office. And actually those um, those correlations that I previously mentioned started to break down when you layered in what was happening with the Federal Reserve at that point in time. So when you factor in that monetary policy, those correlations, regardless of who's in office, really start to break down. So um, kind of our stance is less so much on who's in office, more so on what are we doing from a Federal Reserve standpoint um, uh, with monetary policy. And then everyone focuses on the president, um, but in order to get policies passed and implemented, it helps if if both the House and the Senate are all 
an agreement, which is easier when, when one party controls all three, which I don't know how many times that's occurred, but is there any data that supports if, if the House, Senate, and President are all the same party that there's either it's either good or bad, or, or is there no correlation there? I'm unaware of any relationship there. I think uh, kind of preparing for this um, conversation, I was trying to to take a look into kind of that a bit more detail. I think CNBC had a note saying that actually equity markets prefer a gridlock, um, but I can't, uh, I'm a little bit over my skis commenting in too much detail on uh, breaking it down that, that far. Yeah, and if I mean if we really think about it, like this is all, all the data is is based on statistics, and we have a pretty small sample size. You know what? I f- what are we on? President forty six? Is that right? I feel bad not knowing the exact number, but so I mean, from statistically speaking, that's a really, really, really small sample size to draw from. So it's probably going to be hard to have any conclusive data with. You know, with the amount of time we've had or the number of, of data points we have. What about um, like what about maybe a lag effect, like policies, going back to the policy versus politics, policies implemented by one administration that carry forward into the future, into the next administration. Is there any, do you, are you aware of any data that, that shows more accommodating policies um, helping matters? I'm not aware of any studies, but I do think that uh, I would um, just believe anecdotally that, uh, you know, if you put in a program that's going to take six, you know, over four years or beyond your length of time in office, that you would have some lag effect as uh, those deliverables are are met after uh, maybe the next election. So if it's a bigger infrastructure project, you're seeing that butterfly effect throughout the economy last a lot longer than your time in time in office. There's also a lot of different macroeconomic theories, just high level theories about what is good for the stock market or the economy. And you know, we have some people arguing that lower taxes are better because you stimulate spending by businesses and growth and all of those kinds of things and that like it has a trickle down effect. And then other people argue that it's the opposite. Like if we tax people more, then there's more government spending. There's more of that fiscal policy. Um, is there any data that can back up either of those theories or any I mean, anything conclusive? Um, I think if you ask the folks that support more trickle-down economics, they will have a lot of data. And if you ask the folks that support higher taxes and more government spending, they will produce a lot of data as well. Um, So I think it's kind of dependent on who you ask that question to. Um, And you may get a lot of callers to this podcast that will provide some data (laughs) one way or the other. I think um, at the end of the day, we, you know, there are essential services that the government provides that they need to, to raise revenue for. And I think um, they can have a, a positive impact on the economy through fiscal stimulus programs. Um, 
and I think, uh, you know, that kind of a hybrid, um, approach is probably the, uh, the spot to be or the sweet spot. And I think you could probably poke holes in how either side, uh, approaches it. So everything in moderation kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so the fun thing about data, it's really easy to skew the data to whatever idea you're trying to push. And I think this really gets into that concept of confirmation bias. People are seeking out data that supports their beliefs. You know, I got you know, a couple examples from back in 2017 after Trump was elected and, and took office. You know, I had... Republicans even who were a little nervous, they, they, you know, they voted for Trump naturally, and but they were a little worried about how that would impact their investments, you know, for because he's a little bit different than the typical political candidate we get into office, and they they weren't really sure how that would impact their investments, and they were weary of the stock market moving forward. And then I remember having a conversation specifically with one individual who who was a, a very conservative man. Um, and he was of the opinion that a, a, a weight was just going to be lifted off of the stock market and that all this money on the sidelines was going to start flooding in because like their party had been elected and, and it was going to just create this, this great environment for businesses. So it's like on both sides of the aisle, there's people who have differing opinions and differing thoughts and you know, no one really knows what what's actually going to happen until after the fact. And, you know, in this particular case, yeah, 2017 was a great year for stocks. One of the best on record 2018, maybe not so great. 2020 obviously has been an interesting one that uh, <laughs> to say the least. So I don't, you know, I think it's, we really have to be careful when we're coming into this with a, a certain belief and we're seeking out data that just supports our conviction because I don't know if if that's if there is that data, or you know, you could find data on both sides that support either argument. If you weren't looking for it, yeah. And if you're not looking for it, you're going to get bombarded with it on the commercials and your your social media newsfeed. <laughs> Definitely. So talking about international peace a little bit. So we talked a lot about domestic politics and policy, but have you seen policy choices domestically affect international markets? And do you think that that can have like long-term effects or is it just like little Twitter bumps that, that maybe we experience along the way? I'm kind of thinking about like China and trade and everything like that those, these last few years. Um, I think our, our trade agreements are very important. Um, both with China and uh, the European Union and our other trade partners around the world. Um, and I think kind of getting back to the, uh, the policy side of things is um, even in trade agreements, there's going to be companies that do better. There's different tariff levels. There's different uh, restrictions on cross-border trade. So, Companies that maybe operate in one sector uh, have a different experience um, trading with an international partner than companies in another uh, part of the economy based on those those trade agreements. 
And so I think um, the I think with policy, whether it's domestic or trade agreements with our international partners, having um, you know the indexes are going to capture all of that, the good, the bad, uh, et cetera. And those are a great low low cost way to get exposure to general and economic trends. Um, and if you're looking for someone or you believe that someone could capitalize on some of those trends or has their ear to to the market and ground, maybe an active manager, uh, if you believe you can capitalize on that, would be a, a way to go to try and participate in some of those differences. Are there any other variables relating to politics or policies that people should be aware of or paying attention to as it pertains to their investments? Well, I think kind of circling back to the tax side of things, um, the economy, companies, that will sort out and kind of move in, in its larger cycle. I think from an individual investor standpoint, where we're going to be the most impacted is probably on the capital ta- uh, capital gains tax side. Um, and so for folks that maybe are have exhausted their tax advantage investment vehicles or for whatever reason are utilizing a brokerage account, um, that capital gains tax may um, dictate holding time periods uh, and how you're treating that. Tax loss harvesting comes into play there. So I think that's where on a personal level, folks are going to see that those tax policies impact their portfolios the most. Makes sense. Do you think that there is a chance that capital gains in relation to income taxes change dramatically? So not necessarily the percentages, but the like pretty lower capital gains tax compared to ordinary income tax rates for the long term at least. Yeah, I think um, what has been happening, especially this year with the unprecedented situation that we've had to deal with with COVID and the stimulus packages that we've put out, we were already upside down on our balance sheet as a nation going into this. And we've pushed out a lot of stimulus packages um, to help keep people in their homes and uh, additional stimulus checks to keep them afloat. And eventually we're going to have to pay this back. And I don't think it's something that we continue, uh, can continue to finance forever. And that's probably going to be a challenge for, for our generation to figure out over the next 30, 40 years. And so I think when it comes to tax rates, probably everything is going to come onto the table. Um, because we're probably going to have to raise revenue to, to cover some of these bills over time. So I think, you know, speaking of the capital gains tax rate, that's definitely going to be on the table. Corporate tax rates are going to be on the table. Um, personal income tax rates are going to be on the table. And I think depending on uh, the parties in Washington, um, they'll use the different levers to, to try and drive drive some income. And hopefully we balance the budget and start uh, right-sizing the, uh, the balance sheet. I think eventually our debt service costs as a nation is going to catch up to us. And then 
you know, hypothetically, if taxes, you know, across the board are a little bit higher for everyone to try and repay some of that debt, you know, there have been times throughout history where taxes have been higher and lower. Like right now, we're in, I think, a relatively lower tax environment compared to history. Back in the 80s and even 90s, probably taxes were, were quite a bit higher than they are today. Um, does that have any impact on investments or markets or? On the ordinary income tax side? Yeah, like if taxes are higher or lower, you know, does that seem to have any impact? Like in higher tax environments, stocks don't do as well or lower tax environments, they do better, or, which would be the logical assumption, but that may not really hold true. Um, I think it goes back to our conversation a little bit earlier where um, if we we had some folks from either side of the aisle, they could probably give us data to support, <laughs> support either side of it. I'm kind of in the middle because I think the way I guess I view it is that tax rates only apply to your income and they don't, they don't apply to where you're at in life. And so where, whether you're a 35 year old business owner or a 65 year old business owner, what you do with that additional income may be completely different. And so is a 35 year old, maybe you're focusing more on your business you're investing more into it, you're hiring more people. So a lower tax rate environment may have a, a larger butterfly effect on the, the overall economy. Whereas maybe someone in their later stage of their career, maybe they're slowing down, spending more time with their, their family. So that additional income, maybe it just goes into savings. They just, in a lower tax environment, but they're not spending it. They're just not uh, grinding as hard on building the business. And that's a completely anecdotal answer to your question. But I think kind of how I approach the tax conversation is that it's not a, and why I think it's so uh, much in the middle that there's not a right policy or this policy will be better for the economy and that policy won't be as good as for the economy because it only looks at income and it doesn't look at what folks are actually doing at the end of the day with that either higher or lower discretionary income that they have as a result of tax policy. And then there's chatter on you know, the possibility of a net worth tax, which have we ever had anything like that in our tax history? Do you know? Um, I'm not aware of it. Um, I think that would be very difficult to to enforce, right? Um, especially with the um, the IRS has that's uh, a big project collecting taxes just on the way we have taxes structured today to layer in a brand new tax that gets a little from my minimal understanding or naive understanding of the concept um, gets a little qualitative on how you uh, count the net worth. Yeah. So like, you know, going through this conversation, it sounds like, so policies matter more than politics, but ultimately there's no one 
you know, definitive answer that's going to say, this is definitely better for your investments in stocks or bonds. This is definitely worse. You know, I think it, it gets back to what I tell people all the time. It doesn't matter what policies are, what politics are, like you're still ordering a lot of stuff on Amazon. You're still buying pampers for your baby. You're still getting burgers at McDonald's. You're still subscribing to Netflix. Like, you you know, people are still going to live their lives and spend money on stuff. And then those companies are there to deliver goods and services and investors in those companies ultimately will benefit if those companies are successful long term. So I think really trying to to separate church and state here and uh, and understand that ultimately the drivers of the stock market are companies making money. If they are, it's good for business. If they're not making money, it's not good for business. And I don't know if taxes or politics necessarily can can dictate that. I think right, long term that makes it. a lot of sense. Yeah. I'm thinking a little bit about like so that's Long term, I think, yeah, everything kind of washes out. But with short term things, we kind of expect some volatility approaching an election. Um, I think we have obviously a few different scenarios coming up in about a month here. It's early October right now. So we, I mean, one person could win, the other person could win. We could also end up in a situation where there's not a clear winner right off the bat and we have a long, drawn out court process. Cole, do you think that that might have an impact on markets at all if something like that were to happen? Yeah, I think that's probably the least ideal situation is a long, drawn-out um, court battle on who is the, the the winner come November. I think regardless of party, the markets would prefer a clear winner and a smooth transition of power um, to the next administration or the continued administration from the incumbent. So I think uh, kind of going back to our conversation earlier where we were talking about uncertainty is the number one thing the market doesn't like and having a long drawn out court battle is kind of right up there in the, the uncertainty list. And I think kind of circling a little bit further back to Corey, your comments on the, you know, spending habits, um, I think that's a good way to, to think about it as well, putting your investments into or relating them to politics is if you want an iPhone on November 1st, you're probably still going to want an iPhone on November 10th, regardless of who wins the election, if you haven't bought one yet. And whoever wins the election is probably not going to have an impact on your desire to buy that iPhone. And so I think there is a big separation between how we live our lives day to day and what happens from a a political standpoint. Amen. So I guess to wrap things up here, we've taken up enough of your time, Cole, but what's your prediction? What do you think is gonna happen here in November? I think it's going to be closer than the polls indicate right now. I think as we're talking, we've had one debate, and I think Biden's out ahead. Um, But I think it's as we get closer to the election, it's going to tighten up. Very diplomatic. It's the best cop-out answer ever. (laughs) (laughs) You're talking like a politician. (laughs) I didn't want to call it either. That's why we wanted to ask Cole. 
right? I don't know if anyone could say for sure. I mean, you go back four years ago, everyone was pretty certain that uh, the Ms. Clinton was going to to win, and all the polls suggested so. And then, you know, like you said, the uncertainty piece. You know, Trump was kind of the wild card and came out of nowhere, and the markets didn't expect that. They got shook overnight, but then quickly woke up the next day and realized, wait a second, sun stills rising. We're people still, are still okay. Spending money. Yeah, people are still spending money. <laughs> Maybe we don't need to go into an all-out panic. Um, so yeah, interesting times for sure. Get out and vote, everyone. If you're not registered, register. And then exercise your civic duty. If you're voting by mail, get your ballots in well in advance. And uh, okay. yeah, don't don't panic. Regardless of what happens, life's still good. Thank you for right. listening, everyone. Yeah, have a good one. Thanks for having me. We would love Welcome to hear your to feedback fun. and suggestions for future topics you'd like us to cover. You can get in touch with the show by emailing podcast at thefinitygroup.com or by following Finity Group on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube at Finity Group LLC. You can follow me on Twitter at Corey Janoff CFP. Instagram at Corey Janoff or on LinkedIn under my name, Corey Janoff. You can follow me on Twitter at Rochelle Finance or on Instagram, Vanderzanden Rochelle or on LinkedIn under my name, Rochelle Vanderzanden. Check out all of the podcast episodes on thefinitygroup.com slash podcast on our Finity Group YouTube channel or your favorite podcast app. And don't forget to check out our Financial Clarity blog at thefinitygroup.com slash blog. Thanks for listening to this episode of Financial Clarity for Doctors by Finity Group, LLC.